voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I am so happy to have you with us today. We have got a great show lined up for you. As always, you've come to expect the very best from Go Green Radio, and we deliver week after week. Before we get started, I want to give a shout-out to my Twitter friends, Facebook friends, and folks that are following us as a result of some of the blogs that I put out. Couldn't do the show without you guys, and I'm glad that you're going to join us. Today, we're going to be talking to a couple of people, um, and we're going to be talking about green building, uh, why it's important, green architecture, and some things that we haven't really delved into all that much on Go Green Radio to date. Um, the first guest that we're going to have is coming to us from a source that I sought out myself. Every once in a while, we have guests that, that will call me and say, hey, can we be on Go Green Radio? And, and I say, well, we'll see. Let me look into it, and then we go from there. But this guest, um, I specifically went to the source and said, you know what, I love what you're doing. Um, you're one of my faves, so would you come on? And that source is Green Source Magazine. I, over the years, I've really cut back my subscriptions to magazines. Um, you know, I get a lot of my information online, like a lot of us do, and that's just the way of the 21st century. But I make an exception with this particular magazine, Green Source Magazine, because I really think it gives me information I can't get anywhere else. Um, it's printed on eco-friendly paper and ink and what have you, so I don't feel guilty there and I recycle it. Um, but the pictures and the case studies and the information in this magazine are just top of the line. And it's, you know, it's no easy task, folks, to remain the Dean of Green as I try to be. And Green Source Magazine helps me do that. And so today we're going to be talking to Charles Lynn. He's a leader um, in the launch of McGraw-Hill Construction's Green Source Magazine. He's also a leader in a website uh, called Schools of the 21st Century. That's Records Annual Publication website, and they have a symposium as well for the K-12 through school market. And I'm really excited to welcome him on Go Green Radio. Welcome, Charles Lynn. Thanks for coming on. Hello, Jill. It's uh, great to be here. Really well, great to be here. It's it's fun to have you on, and, and like I said, I'm such a fan of your work. You're one of the innovators behind one of my very, very most favorite, favorite sources of information on sustainable design. I, I love getting Green Source Magazine. I'm thrilled to have you on. Now, before we talk about the magazine itself, let's kind of take our listeners through your background and how you came to help uh, lead the way for Green Source. When you became an architect in the early 80s, what drew you into that field to begin with? Well... I actually started my education uh, in the 1970s. Uh, I was a young kid who uh, decided he wanted to be an architect at about the age of 15, and I uh, was lucky enough to uh, have a great father who um, was a subscriber to a magazine called Architectural Record. And... That was uh, something that uh, we had it around the house, and it really captured my imagination. And I decided when I started my junior year of high school that I wasn't going to finish uh, high school. I was going to go uh, right after my junior year and start architecture school. And the closest architecture school uh, was Kansas State. And um, I got there. I was almost 17 when I started my freshman year. And... I loved it. I just thought architecture was the greatest thing there was. 
and um, I went to school, finished my uh, my Bachelor of Architecture in, in five years, and uh, then I went out and I started to uh, practice after that. That is so cool, and I love to hear stories like just what you said, where your parents had this positive influence on the career that you chose. And I know that we have a lot of parents out there who listen to Go Green Radio. And, uh, you know, something as simple as what kind of magazines your father subscribed to um, could have such a tremendous impact. And, and that's, a great, that's a great beginning to this story. Now, when you first got into the field of architecture, was there anything at all really going on in terms of sustainable or green design at that time? Well, it's interesting that you ask because, first of all, one of the very interesting things about going to a place like Kansas State, which is a land-grant college, uh, is that there is a, an, an emphasis on the land and an emphasis on uh, resource management that is sort of in, in the DNA of a school like that. Uh, land-grant colleges, of course, were uh, set up in the uh, 19th century, and their job was to prepare people to work in agriculture and engineering. I went so, to one of those, too. I went to the University of Illinois. Same uh, exact, you know, background. There you go. And so you know that when you go through a school like that, that there is always an emphasis on sort of, you know, turning the lights off when you leave your dorm room. Mm-hmm. Um, that culture, uh, educational culture, was part of the architecture school there, and um, we uh, happened to be going, or I happened to be going through uh, school uh, at the time when the um, Arab oil embargo occurred. The first oil Arab oil embargo um, uh, happened in an early in, late in 1973, early 1974, and we were prepared the professors were ready to teach us how to orient our buildings uh, so that we took uh, maximum advantage of the um, of the solar uh, collectors, and we learned all about energy conservation. And um, there was a tremendous amount of influence. Uh, 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 that the, the, uh, how should I say this? The Arab oil embargo had a tremendous influence on our education at that time. Now, I didn't know that. Like, mm-hmm. um, how quickly were the professors able to react to that? I mean, what, besides, you know, what you've already mentioned, what were they, what were they saying about, you know, the future of, of architecture and what you all would need to be prepared to design in response to an energy situation like that? Well, I, I think that uh, it was not immediately clear that... Uh, there would be energy energy surpluses at any time in the immediate future, mm-hmm. um, and I think that the the tone of what occurred at that time was so influenced by the uh, that the energy prices that people felt a need to react very quickly, and I think that uh, the sort of fervor within this re- with which this reaction occurred uh, is roughly parallel to the way people were feeling this summer and early this fall uh, when energy prices spiked uh, to where, you know, uh, oil was costing $4 a, a, bar- or a 
excuse me, $145 a barrel. Right. I mean, uh, back in those days, uh, oil went from like $5 a barrel to $65 a barrel, and people were really, really panicky uh, right. about that. Well, and it is amazing, the parallels between, you know, the, the time in which you received your degree and, and where we are really today mm-hmm. and the uncertainty of the future. And I think that a lot of folks out there, I mean, I've got a lot of, you know, moms, dads, you know, people in, across many industries, public policymakers who are listening to Go Green Radio, and, and it may not occur to them that the, the ripple effect of what we're seeing with, you know, energy and oil and, and all these other things would ripple into the architecture world, but it really has, and it, it's not new. But let me ask you this, Charles. What, if any difference, as far as you know, is there between the curriculum that you were taught when you got your Bachelor of Architecture at Kansas State and what architectural students are being taught today when it comes to creating environmentally responsible structures? Well, I think that, our uh, students today have a tremendous uh, lead. They're, they're socially conscious uh, to a level that um, I'm not sure that we were at that time. I think that students, when I was in school, you know, became concerned, and certainly that was a very socially active time uh, and it, because it was right after the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, I think students today who are also um, who also entered their uh, college careers at a time when there is an unpopular war uh, are also very uh, socially conscious. So that's one thing that they have going for them. They really care about the environment. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that um, the the internet and computing, first of all, gives them you know access to information that simply was not available to us at that time. Uh, and so they're better informed. And as far as architecture is concerned, there are a lot of new computing tools that they have at their disposal to help them learn how energy is consumed by a building and to help them see, hmm, if I shape the building this way, it will consume less energy. If I shape the building this way, if I put overhangs on the building over the windows, what happens to the amount of light that we use and what happens to the heat gain? Kids today, and architects as well, uh, and engineers as well, they have access to a lot of tools that we just simply didn't have in those days. And I think that that helps them have a leg up Mm-hmm. on what we were able to do as well. I think also that what we learned in those relatively brief years where there was a tremendous energy crisis um, was sort of went out of the culture of teaching students mm-hmm. um, because we really, uh, you know, professors and students alike sort of lost interest in energy conservation uh, once the uh, kind of initial shock was diminished and uh, people started pumping as much oil as they wanted to again. Right, right. Well, you know, I think the, between the time that, that you were in school and we were dealing with, you know, that energy situation and, and the time that we're in now where it's, it's really at the forefront, there was something that happened in between. And we've, we've heard a lot about LEED standards and green building in your opinion, what was the genesis for this movement towards sustainability? I mean, even before oil was, 
you know, the, the prices spiked over the summer. People were talking about lead standards, the U.S. Green Building Council. What, what really was the, the genesis for that movement towards sustainability, do you think? Well, I think it was really a perfect storm of a number of different things. There's, first of all, uh, there was the uh, realization that buildings uh, use about 40% of the energy that's consumed in the United States. Wow. And um, most of that energy comes from fossil fuel sources, even though um, you say, well, a lot of it is electricity. Most of that electricity comes from fossil fuel sources as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let me get, give you sort of a breakdown. It's about, for residential buildings, it's about 21% of the total energy that we, um, that we consume. Commercial, institutional buildings, uh, the, sort of the rest of the stuff, uh, uh, that takes about 18%. Um, industrial is 32%. And mm-hmm. transportation is about 29. So, so it's a huge amount of the carbon output that, that uh, uh, it comes from, from consumption of, of energy by buildings. That's Both- fascinating. And I think a lot of people really don't realize that. And I think as we come back from break, Charles, we're going to talk more about Green Source Magazine, what you're doing with schools of the 21st century, and we'll answer the question for folks, what can we do? (laughs) What can we do to reduce that footprint? And uh, we'll be right back, folks, with more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African-American, just like you. So, here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST for 
a.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to another great segment of Go Green Radio. So glad you're here with us today because we are talking about some important stuff around green building. You're going to hear more and more about this. It's really becoming a mainstream topic. Um, And we've got, as always, the best guests ever. And we've been talking to Charles Lynn. Um, He's an architect by trade. He's also one of the leaders who brought to us one of my favorite resources um, out there on, on sustainable design, and that is Green Source Magazine. We're going to dig in deeper about what that magazine entails, what their online presence is, and why I love it so very much. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, Charles. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Jill. Well, you have really helped pave the way for Green Source Magazine. Now, back us up a little bit and tell our listeners how that publication came into being, who was the intended audience, and how big did you expect the readership to be? Sure. I work for uh, McGraw-Hill Construction, and we have a magazine uh, other than Green Source. It's called Architectural Record. Uh, Architectural Record is the most widely uh, published, most most widely read architecture magazine in the world. Uh, We're also the magazine of the American Institute of Architects. That's weird, meaning that I work there. Um, We have been talking uh, starting in the, oh, around 2003, 2004, about starting a magazine that would uh, work, that would, whose subject matter would be strictly about green buildings. Uh, we developed a business plan, as we do for all of our uh, publications, uh, to try to determine who an audience might be for it, who uh, advertisers uh, might be who might support it, um, and we started working with several different groups. Uh, one of them was the U.S. Green Building Council, uh, and we decided, made an agreement with them to, to create and provide a magazine to their readers. Uh, we also started working with a group up in Vermont called Building Green uh, with uh, Alex Wilson and Nadav Malin there. And Building Green is a, a publishing company and a, a, a consultancy whose specialty is also sustainable buildings. So we felt that between the USGBC's uh, members and uh, our expertise uh, as publishers of architecture magazines and Building Green's expertise uh, at 
writing and, and vetting information about sustainable buildings that we would come up with a really great team to do a great magazine. Well, and for my listeners who haven't seen the magazine, and Mm -hmm. I'm hoping they will all check it out because there's an online presence for a green source as well, but there's really nothing like holding that magazine in your hands and looking at some of the pictures and some of the case studies. That way I really enjoy it. But tell us about the format, the content, and and most importantly, why it's gaining so much popularity. Sure. Um, Green Source magazine, uh, as I said, it's uh, a... it is a professional journal, so you won't see it on the newsstand. Uh, you can go to our website, which is greensourcemag.com, and uh, check out uh, the sort of stories that we do. We have departments which occur uh, every month, Currents, which is sort of a deep think piece that we do, Policy Watch, which is all about um, uh, different uh, governmental policies that are affecting the green building uh, market. People Watch, uh, which, uh, in which we interview folks who have an interest in sustainable building. Um, and we have Earth Watch, which is um, sort of a photo essay. It's where we find some photographer or artist who's doing some interesting work, and we feature that. But the main thing that we have in the magazine are case studies of green buildings. Mm-hmm. What makes the case studies unique among all uh, uh, of the architecture magazines that are out there is that we provide metrics that prove that the buildings are green. Now, these metrics are uh, such things as the annual energy uh, purchased energy, the carbon footprint, uh, we try to pre- uh, we try to present uh, how much a building costs, and then we interview the architects and engineers and try to understand what are the strategies that they use to make these buildings sustainable. And I love that because that appeals to the side of me that's a bit cynical that says, you know, just because you put recycled content you know, laminate flooring in a building, who cares? What does mm-hmm. that really mean? What does it really help? Um, who does it help? And you guys do a great job of answering a question for average building occupants of what's in it for me. And speaking of which, I mean, you and I kind of know the answer to this question mm-hmm. because we're, you know, interested in this topic. But for our listeners out there who are wondering, you know, what's the benefit to me uh, Sustainable buildings, great. Sounds neat, but but what's in it for me? How do I benefit? What well, would you say to them? Uh, well, in a global sense, of course, we're all citizens of planet Earth, and you know what sustainable buildings are supposed to do is not just save energy, but to cut off uh, to to cut down on all resource consumption. And uh, most of the energy, most of the buildings that we uh, write about our lead registered buildings or uh, and or and lead certified buildings as well uh, which stands for leadership in energy and environmental design uh, that's a program of the US Green Building Council to get a lead registered building you have to show that your building uh, is resource conservative so not just energy conservation but water conservation the amount of impact that the building has on the site the amount of trash that was uh, consumed during the construction of the building, how much of the building, uh, 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 how much of the building material that was not used was recycled, and so on. Mm-hmm. 
any time that you can make a building resource conservative, that is helpful to people here on planet Earth. That's one thing. The second thing is really that sustainable buildings, by virtue of the amount of care that goes into their design, generally tend to be better for occupants. What you're doing, for example, is getting rid of the formaldehyde and the carpeting. You're getting rid of the VOCs and the paints. You are providing more fresh air to the occupants. You're providing more daylighting to the occupants. Uh, you are not providing excess amounts of, of electric light or too much heat or too much cold. I mean, all of these things are uh, deeply considered when a sustainable building is designed. It's human-centric design. I mean, it's, it's on the one hand, environmentally responsible, um, which is good for everybody who's got kids or grandkids or children they care about. Every bit of natural resources we save today is something that they can use tomorrow. But it's also great for us right here, right now, today, because if you are working, uh, living, or learning in a green, sustainable building, you're going to be more comfortable, more effective, you're going to learn better. And actually, that's where I want to pivot right now because um, you are part of another entity that deals with schools, schools of the 21st century. And right. many of our Go Green listeners are parents, children who are in public, private, charter, and homeschools. I know we have some homeschool uh, parents listening today, and I'm giving them a shout-out. Thanks for listening. Um, talk to us about the mission and the goals of Schools of the 21st Century. Well, Schools of the 21st Century is a publication uh, that we started. It comes out annually. It's part of uh, Architectural Records uh, portfolio. And in that, what we're trying to do is uh, show how the quality of the built environment can affect the quality of a person's education. We focus on K-12 through schools, and uh, just to tie back to Green Source for a minute, um, it, it is demonstrable that a green school help, can help a child learn. Uh, the, the better air quality uh, pre, cuts down on absenteeism. Uh, these are all things that are, that are provable. Um, but uh, other than, than that, um, schools... Schools present us with a particular uh, problem. Uh, we still design them very much in the same way that they were designed in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at uh, literature from that time, uh, authors refer to schools as the school buildings as the school plant, as, <laughs> as if schools were factories for Ooh. cranking out intelligent people. Um, <laughs> That didn't work very well, no. and yet we we still uh, are battling some of the bad design work that w- uh, came out of the 1950s. Well, and I know I have a child with asthma, and um, you know she's often triggered. You know, asthma attacks are triggered um, if there are pesticides or other uh, indoor air quality. Situations going on, and and we've got to be really sensitive to that. I mean, one of the things that you know people involved in schools and and public policy know, especially uh, where I live in California, is that schools are paid 
um, not in some big lump sum, but based on their average daily attendance. So if kids are absent, guess what? School doesn't get paid for those kids when their little bottoms are not in the chairs. So if we can do things to make the learning environment healthy enough that kids are not getting sick or having asthma problems that send them home, um, then that's actually a, a budgetary benefit for schools as well as the children who are involved in it, plus the teachers. I mean, they're spending a lot of waking hours in this work environment, if we can make it a healthier environment, that's you know that's good quality of life for every teacher that's out there. Um, Absolutely. You know, and in the in the minute or so that we have left, um, Charles, I want you to speak to the parents that are out there who are really advocating for green and healthy schools. How can they get involved in what you're doing? Well. I think that the most important thing that anyone can do is to become informed. And uh, if you can, are interested, um, there are places such as the uh, Council on High Performance Schools, which uh, has a tremendous, uh, or excuse me, the Collaborative for High Performance Schools, which is a tremendous number of resources uh, available on its website that anyone can download and you can read them and you can become informed. I think the only way that you can change policy in the United States or the only way that you can, you know, affect your local leaders is by becoming informed about mm-hmm. these issues. And, I think you know, you're right, Charles, and I think, you know, I definitely have seen that with the Go Green initiative. And, and Charles, I have just been thrilled to have you on. I hope you'll come back and join Go Green Radio again sometime. Thank you so much for sharing this information with us. And, uh, folks, we'll be right back after this break with more Go Green Radio. News. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. No excuses, no delays. If you have goals you want to achieve or changes you need to make, then it's time to take charge of your life with America's change buddy, Nancy Christie. This show will help you lead a more productive and fulfilling life starting now. Take Charge of Your Life challenges you to expand your sense of possibilities. Take Charge of Your Life with Nancy Christie is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America. Let change be a positive force in your life. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Solvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Solvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey. 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. I am so glad to have you on. I'm giving a special shout-out right now to my Tweeples, my Twitter friends, because I'm about to interview another Twitter goddess who is a mommy who's green, and I'm really excited about it. It goes hand-in-hand with what we were talking to Charles Lynn about. Uh, He's an architect, so he's into sustainable design. But you know what? It's not just for industry folks to be concerned about and involved in green building. And we're going to talk to a woman I really respect. Her name is Anna Hackman. She runs a, a website that I think is awesome. I think it's really great. She has a blog. It's called greentalk.com, but that's green and then a hyphen talk.com. And she's going to share with us her experience uh, with green building on a different scale at her home level. Um, and we're really going to be talking about the impact that parents have when they decide that green building is healthy for their kids and the right thing to do. And I'm pleased as punch to welcome Anna Hackman to the show. Anna, thanks for coming on Go Green Radio. Thank you, Jill. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we've been talking right at the end of our segment with Charles Lynn. We started talking about parents advocating for their children. They want their schools to be green, healthy um, institutions, what they can do, and, and we'll probably have another show on that. But speaking of parents and advocates, Anna, for those of you who aren't familiar with greentalk.com, she is a lawyer, and she made a choice that a lot of Go Green Radio listeners will appreciate. She's devoted her time, her energy, her intellect to her children's well-being. And uh, I am really excited to talk about Green Talk. But before we do that, Anna, let's talk about what brought you into the green world to begin with. What first got you going with being one of those great green mommy bloggers? Well, I... Actually, it all started back in the 90s. Um, my children were diagnosed with learning disabilities. I have four of them, and all four of them have dyslexia. Two of them have ADD. They have eczema. They have a host of, of little weird, quirky things about them. And I started to look at my home environment and say, what was I doing? You know, what was making, what caused this? You know, and you see it all in the schools. I mean, everybody in the school, there's kids that have ADD. They have learning disabilities. Um, OCD, I mean, a ton of, of things are going on with our kids. So I started looking at my house, and I said, oh, my God, I'm bringing in toxic paint. I've got carpet. I've got all these little things that off-gas hazardous chemicals. Have I created this situation or even made it worse? And um, over the years, as we renovated houses or we um, updated them, I started to look at the materials that I was bringing in. And back in the 90s, there wasn't a lot of choices. Um, it was limited, and not like it is now. Now everybody, there's really no excuse why people would even bring in a, a toxic paint into their household. It's available now. And um, that's how I started to learn, and it kept building and building. And back in um, 2003, we decided to build, and that was a huge undertaking. And I said, I'm going to build a greenhouse. I'm going to build everything in it that's non-toxic. And, you know, it's a great statement to say to you actually start with that first piece of wood that gets put down in, in, in your house. And you mm-hmm. said, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> because it was, 
it's, it's a minute. I know people may say I'm a little obsessive, but it was minute as what was the primer that was going on the plumbing pieces so the, you know, the inspector could see it. The purple, that purple primer that people put for the inspector, right? That has, that's pretty toxic. So I, I'm calling up the, you know, the, um, the technical departments and saying, what do you have, what do you have, what do you have that's low toxic? And they would give me the code numbers. And I and I you know rush around and try and find it, and I'd send my poor you know uh, builder say, here you have to go there. They they have it, and you know like back then you have to imagine back in the early two thousands it just wasn't you know right on the shelf like it is now. Now it's right. much more apparent, thank goodness. And a lot of it's because people like me wanted it. That's right. So, and what I love most about that, I mean, I, I really appreciate the fact that you were doing this. Because of your kids. I mean, I think there's no greater force in the world than a mommy who protects her little cubs. <laughs> and I think that, that you demonstrate um, in a very real way what can happen in the marketplace when, just like you said, people like you want it. And we really can never forget as consumers how much power we have to move the market toward products that are environmentally responsible and, and really best for human health if we demand it. And, you know, you were really one of the pioneers of that, Anna. I think that's really great. And you used, you know, your intellect. You were a lawyer, and you, know, you could have done any number of things with the, the educational background and the, the smarts that you have, and yet you devoted it to this endeavor, and you've learned so much. And what's really cool about what you're doing is that you're sharing it. You're sharing it on your blog. And I've met so many parents. Um, out on blogs and out on Twitter who have similar stories. You know, they were concerned about their children's health and that propelled them into becoming educated and active on environmental protection, you know, issues. In fact, that's what caused me to write the Go Green Initiative in 2002. You know, during the course of, of sharing all this information, have you built friendships and associations with other parents as well who feel the same way you do? I, I, I have. I've been very fortunate. I'm part of um, a group called the Green uh, Moms, and we create a carnival every month. Every one of them is so accomplished, and I so respect them, and diverse, and we all have different backgrounds. There's accountants, there's lawyers, there's authors, there's um, people that contribute to magazines. Um, it's just, we're just so diverse, and we bring to the table a lot of different thoughts, and I've learned so much from them, and people would say, well, come on, Anna. You've been doing this for a decade. How are you going to learn more? I said, believe me, there's a floodgate that you can learn. And they have really, they've actually pushed me to relook at some of the things that I do. And um, I am grateful to them. I'm grateful to have that sorority of women. And they're not all moms. They're mothers of the earth. Um, and um, I just find that women just seem to look deeper. And that's what, I really respect them. And they've helped me a lot. It is pretty exciting. I mean, you and I met thanks to Twitter, and it's kind of, um, I know that one of your Twitter friends is one of mine, uh, the smart mama, oh, <laughs> Jennifer. She's, she's, she's awesome. Amazing. And, you know, it's kind of like we're using um, the 21st century tools, technological tools to create, and she, she describes it as the quilting circle of the 21st century where smart women who love their kids with a fervor come together from all over the place in, and meet in these virtual situations to increase our knowledge, to share best practices. Give us an, an example of one of your favorite sort of online success stories as it relates to being a green advocate. Um, you talk about the Green Carnival. Give us some idea of what you feel like 
has been a really enjoyable and fulfilling relationship that you've you've gotten out of these web-based um, vehicles. Well, I also um, I get to see a lot of new products. I get ah. to see a lot of people that are really passionate, and it just it it almost like warms my heart to see how passionate these people are. You may think that I'm passionate. They are so passionate at what they're doing. And um, on Twitter, I'm not just connected with moms. I'm also connected with other gardeners who I can ask questions of. And believe me, I have a lot of questions. And, <laughs> you know, um, you ask my green moms, they'll tell you that. And, I, you know, I also get to connect with other people that are um, – I just became LEED certified, so I get to connect with them as well. It's a whole camaraderie of, of community people that are so passionate about whatever that they're writing about. And another vehicle that I actually love is called something called LinkedIn. Um, and I just joined a whole bunch of green groups, and that's where I've seen a lot of these green products and people looking for funding or talking about they're promoting their product or they're looking for answers. And it's a new level for me because it's like almost bringing me up and starting to have to think even more about well, what are they doing, how are they making that, how are they getting that together, how are they promoting that. It's fascinating, and I really tell anybody who's in marketing or any of business has to actually join LinkedIn and um, get on some of those boards and those groups because it's very, very fascinating. Well, hey, we need to be LinkedIn buddies because I've been out there for a while. So let's look each other up when the show's okay, I'll, over. I'll, I'll friend you. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. Now, earlier in the show, we were talking to Charles Lynn. He's involved with Green Source. Green Source Magazine, which I, I totally love. I really love that publication. Um, but as you've said on greentalk.com, you didn't have the luxury of a resource like that when you undertook your green building project. Give us some idea of how you pieced together all that information that you needed. Um, Where would you start? I mean, this is it's a great story. It's, um, actually, there's a book that's written by Lynn and John Bauer um, from Healthy House Institute. They actually started Healthy House Institute in '92. Um, they since have sold that and moved on to do something else. She was chemically sensitive, Lynn, and he built this whole house for her. And wow. they actually are my mentors in, in my mind because everything that he used was non-toxic. He had to. He had no choice right. for her. So they have this, you know, what is it, 200-page book that I followed every step of the way of what he did. And I also used another book by, um, it's by Linda Mason Hunter. I think she, I don't know which... Um, organization she started, but she has a book called Healthy Home. So I use books like that um, to piece together what I had to avoid chemically. That's how I learned about formaldehyde and benzene and totaline, all those, you know, funny words. Um, they taught me that. And so when I would go look at products, I would ask those questions of the technical to people and say, does this do this, does that do that? And I started to piece things together. Now, I started back like in 1990, 1999, starting to piece together a whole big book of my wish list of products, uh-huh. and that's how I started. Um, I actually have a geothermal system in my house, and I learned that through looking through all these different, you know, magazines and trade magazines. I read fine home building and, and things like that, you know, that people go, what do you read that for? I said, because I think <laughs> building is fascinating. It and, is. And I think builders are amazing. And um, so I started to piece together information from different sources, and I do have, I, I actually got rid of a lot of it, but it was like two inches thick when we started to build. So I had a, a huge knowledge base. So what I tell people is to read a lot. You know, get a, a, a good book that talks about um, home renovation or remodeling or building and use that as a starter, as a skeleton. 
Mm-hmm. And then start researching. It is much more available. There's a lot of wonderful websites out there now. Um, Green Source is one of them, the one that you spoke about. They have some great um, articles on there. There's, um, I think Building Green is one of the other ones that I used a lot, too. At that point, a lot of their articles were available online for free. Mm-hmm. They're not so much anymore because you have to get a subscription. Mm-hmm. But at the time when I was building, a lot of them were on. So I used a lot of their articles because um, they're written you know, by builders. And so, Anna, um, do you have um, do you have this on GreenTalk.com? Because I I haven't seen some of these, and, and I totally could have missed it. But do you have some of these listed on your website where people could go to Green-Talk.com and check out these titles of the books that you mentioned? You know, I actually thought I did. I thought I wrote that in my um, you know my about, and I like said, oh my goodness, it's not there. What I will do is I will put up a resource page. Awesome. Uh, on my website, um, and title like resources, okay. and put some of the things that I used um, that so people folks, can use as well. They are fortunate, like I said, there are a lot of books out now. I think Alex Wilson may have a book out um, from Building Green. Um, he probably has several books out. He's phenomenal. He's. We are going to talk more about that after this break. And and Anna, this is just amazing information, folks. Don't go away. More with Anna Hackman right after this break. Don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. They say it's from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote. And then I stopped volunteering, and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder. Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Do you know what the most complex piece of your business capital investment is? Is it the technology? Is it the infrastructure? Could it be the office and corporate structure? The most complex piece of your business capital investment is the human being. Return on Human Capital is a unique program that discusses some of the most important issues facing leaders in business. Join your hosts, Howard Pines and Jay Santamaria, for Return on Human Capital, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I am so glad you're with us today because we are talking to Anna Hackman. She started green-talk.com. You've got to check it out. She's a wicked smart, totally cool mom of four who is doing amazing things and sharing what she's doing in terms of making her children's world, where they live, where they learn, a greener, healthier place. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, Anna. Hi. And we are so glad to have you. Um, I want to talk specifically about your website, green-talk.com. What is the mission of, you know, why did you start it? What do you hope to accomplish with it? Well, what I try to do with Green Talk is um, it was a little selfish. I, I actually needed my own community. I needed people to ask questions. And I still have a lot of questions about what I'm doing and what I'm choosing and does things work? Do certain building products work? Do certain, any you know, a lot of questions, and I said, you know what, I'm going to build this website, I'm going to write about what I'm passionate about, and and ask the community to help out each other. So what the purpose of Green Talk, like I've always said, is it's, it's a community. It's a place that I'm the facilitator. I don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself a facilitator. I put out, you know, content, and I ask people to join in and, and discuss it and, and help each other, because there's always someone who's going to know more and someone who knows less. And that's really my mission was to create a community of, of people to help each other. I love it. I mean, that's, that's the way that problems ought to be solved, you know. Get a lot of minds thinking together, collaborating. Um, I think that's terrific. Now, Anna, how do you decide what you'll post on your site? I mean, what topics interest you most and what topics have seemed to uh, sort of evoke the most response from your readers? It's been hard for me to gauge that. Um, I write a lot of, about a lot of different things. The blog was originally supposed to be about green building, but it seemed to have its mind of its own. It's like a child. And it, <laughs> and it uh, you know, when it turned one, it decided to do whatever it wanted to do. So, like, whatever at the moment, a lot of times it's based on my life, what's actually going on in my life. But um, it actually, you know, I get a lot of PR releases, and I see some wonderful companies that I write about it. What tends to strike me, like I said before, is passionate people, whether it's passionate about making onesies or passionate about making toys or passionate about making a geothermal system. Those people seem to just draw me in. I I don't know why, but I just love writing about them. Um, I even wrote um, one that really got took off a lot was on Organic Vodka, a woman running this company called Square One. Uh A lot of people love that story because I wrote about her. And, uh, yeah. you know, about why she did what she did and, and all the things that she's done. And I think that's probably what shows a lot in my writing is people's hearts. Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, I know when I do write the green building part articles, people really like that. Um, my geothermal article has been a very big hit on the site because I talked about what it was like to own a geothermal system. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually found a friend through there, um, a geothermal installer, who now will answer all the questions of people who have about geothermal and let me off the hook because he, you know, he's an expert at it, and he's been really kind about it, and um, he's wonderful. And, and when you meet, when you mention about meeting connections, he's a wonderful connection that I met through my website, and he That's teaches me. 
I mean, he, he teaches me a lot of things I never really knew about my own system. So it's... um. Well, when you talk about, you know, the, the heart of people, that's what comes through and, and why I like Green Talk so much is because there's a humility about you that is appealing, I think, to your readers. You don't pretend to have all the answers, um, but you, you do make it very well known that you want to and that you'll listen and that you'll, you know, you're open to information. Um, and, and I think that's what really draws people in and why I would really encourage all of our Go Green listeners to get out there on green-talk.com. Now, you know, I'm, I'm suspecting that, that you have some idea of what success would mean for greentalk.com. By the end of 2009, where do you see your work evolving? What would say, you know, this was a great year to you, Anna? What, what would it look like? Um, a lot more readers. <laughs> I'm sure everybody says that. Um, actually, Green Talk um, is a stepping stone for me. Um, it's not only a way for me to learn, but I'd like to go out and do more consulting. Um, it, I think it's a way I can bring it back to my blog. You know, it's, it's, a, it's almost like being a teacher but not experiencing enough. And that's what I would like is that to go out as a stepping stone from Green Talk and consult in businesses and green building to learn more about what, I love, and bring it back to my blog, and then have a community of people that are responsive to that and add to it. And that's what I want is that community, is that people talking about things that I, I write about and giving you know answers back and forth to what they think and putting in their two cents and their two experiences. That's actually what I'd like to see in 2009 with Green Talk, is that part of it to take off. Mm-hmm. And, and as a mom, Anna, what do you think are the greatest dangers to our children's future, when it comes to the environment, what are the big issues in your mind? I think people are not caring. I think that there's a lot of people still out there that don't realize that, you know, that we have impact on our children through our environment. You know, when people throw bottles away and, and don't recycle them, when they, you know, bring in toxic things into their houses, use toxic products, you know, these have impact, and they, it's impacting children who have smaller immune systems. You know, we're adults. We can handle other things, but children can't. Yeah, their so, little bodies metabolize those toxins very differently. You know, if you don't want to believe in global warming, okay, fine. You know, I, I think that you have to also believe in that, you know, children have environmental issues that we have had direct impact on. So when you go to the grocery store... Think about buying the organic piece of fruit versus the non-organic piece of fruit. Think about taking off your shoes when you walk in the house so you don't drag in pesticides that are outside your house. Just simple things to realize. Do it for your kids. That's, that's my message. Is even if you don't believe in all the rhetoric out there, just do it for your kids. Well, exactly. And, and, and I have said many times before, I am not here to change anyone's mind about what they think in terms of you know, whether or not humans are causing climate change. You know, that, that's not my mission. My mission is to do the things we can do to protect our children from harm. If we know that painting our walls with uh, a paint that has a lot of VOC emissions is harmful to their health, don't do it. That doesn't require, you know, any religious fervor uh, when it comes to global warming and, and that sort of thing. There are things that we can do, like conserve natural resources through recycling, that we know simply mean that we're conserving natural resources that will then be available to our children at a later date. 
That doesn't require, you know, a belief in global warming. That requires thinking about our children's future the same way we do, you know, when we take them to the doctor for vaccinations, when we save for their college education. We do all these things, all these wonderful things, to set them up for a healthy, prosperous, and safe future. And there's so many things that we can do to protect the environment in which they live today and the resources that they'll have tomorrow. Anna, you are such an inspiration, and I am so glad you joined us on Go Green Radio. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Jill, so much for having me. It's been, it was a lot of fun. Well, that's what I like to hear. It is a lot of fun. And, folks, if you're out there wondering how you can engage in the dialogue, shoot me an email, gogreenradio at gmail.com. You can always call into the show. This is supposed to be a dialogue. We love to talk to our listeners, so consider calling in this time next, actually next week. I just want to let you know our studio is moving, so we'll be down off the air the day after Christmas, but we'll be back the week after that. So join us again next year for more Go Green Radio. Have a wonderful holiday. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.